Hi, Peter Balker here and welcome to today's edition of The Transition Guide. Now joining me today in the studio is Chris Ward, author of Win the Hour, Win the Day. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you, Peter. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, great to have you here. Win the Hour, Win the Day. Where did that come from? Oh boy, that's a story in itself. So that's a little bit of a backstory, but the short version of that is really, if you can win the hour, you can win the day. And as entrepreneurs, we, I did this for years in the beginning. I dove in enthusiastically in the day thinking I could just outrun the clock and going faster and harder was really my coping mechanism for everything. So sometimes you would have these great ambitions um, and not understanding having any idea at two o'clock if I was derailed or an hour behind or a week behind, because I was just going, go, like I was putting action and sweat into every recipe way over strategy. So when you break it down, if you can win the hour, you can win the day. And how did you end up winning the hour? Oh boy. Well, this is how it started for me. This is how the whole thing founded. Um, so I started out as a marketing strategist, oh, 12 plus years ago. And like so many entrepreneurs, the first, well, the first, at least for me, at least two years, I worked insane hours. Like I went two years without sleep and I always I sat down nicely by the people that were around me, cheering me on, supporting me so much with my new business that I was starting to lose some of my charm year two without having slept. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, this isn't a long-term plan. So moving the story forward really quickly, I really went from working 16 hours a day down to six. Now that didn't happen overnight. It's a whole story itself, but let me move forward with this. And so what happened was, oh my gosh, it was game changer. I couldn't believe how much I was getting in my own way. I couldn't believe how much more effective, productive, how much more money I made in less time, all this stuff. When I was able to effectively, efficiently move to that transition of down to six hours. But here's the thing. Luckily, I did that because it was a couple of years after that, that my husband had been diagnosed with colon cancer and I had been pulled away from the business for about two years. And my existing clients had no idea of my absence at all, nor did the local business community. Nobody knew. It just it was not how we navigated his journey. We were very positive in nature. So when that came out, it was a real shock to everyone. And they, my existing clients started to come to me under you know, confusion and, and respect for the fragility of life. And they said, like, I don't know how we didn't know you were way. And if you could manage that, maybe you could get me to my kids' soccer games. So I, you know, maybe I could stop working all those Sundays. And so I started to work with them and we had amazing results. And I realized so many of the people that I work with and you guys are out there, you know who you are. You're the last one when your family goes to bed, trying to get one more email done. And you get up earlier and earlier. As my husband used to say, I was always stealing from sleep. So I thought, how could I help more people have a business that supports their life instead of consuming it? And that's how the book evolved and everything from that, our coaching and our winner's circle, et cetera. Now I take it that moving from 16 hours to six hours, that involved hiring a team. Yeah. So that is a Excellent point, Peter. It really did. And I was, you know, like so many entrepreneurs, I kept thinking that, well, once I get to a certain level of success or once I could afford it, you know, all these things. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're not there yet. And, and I had this idea that I was being practical and hardworking and saving money by doing things myself. And that brings me to what I call the three Ds. And the three Ds are damaging overhead, delayed income, diminished opportunity. So when let's, let's say, Peter, you could sell a package for, let's say a hundred dollars 
And when you're doing something yourself, learning something new, because we all know every day there's different things, even just social media alone that we have to learn. When you're doing something yourself, learning this next thing or the pre or post work or the white noise or the busy work at five, six, seven o'clock at night, you're not bringing in that hundred dollars for that package you could sell. And so what that means is you're the damaging overhead for your business. You are the most damaging overhead for your business. And then there's the delayed income. So what happens is, what about a package you could have sold in January, but you didn't get to sell till June? And what if one of those people gave you a referral? Think about the money you're losing there. And then the most painful of them all, Peter, is the diminished opportunity. When somebody says, oh my gosh, I wish I had known that you did that, Peter. I just locked into something with someone else. And now you know we're good. We got a contract. So the three D's were really crushing my business and making me work all these crazy hours and really affecting my income. And that's when I understood I needed to start building a team. Yeah, that's interesting because people love the romance of building a team. And very often they'll hire people because either they'll do it out of habit because they hire people in their previous corporate career or they hire people to do jobs. I get totally exasperated by managing teams and absolutely then hate the entire process and actually find themselves working more hours, not less hours, because they're managing a team. I think they're managing a team that isn't doing what they are paying them to do. And then they're compensating by doing it themselves when they're robbing sleep to get the stuff done that isn't getting done. How do you overcome that? You brought up such a spectacular point. And if we just, if you, if everyone listening just gets this one point today, this is worth your time. So what happens is you're absolutely right. You hire somebody and you hire an assistant, a VA, whatever. And then you end up checking on their work, you know, and I don't like the word delegate. People say, well, we delegated work. Yeah. Cause it's a lateral move. So now you hired somebody, you're leaning over, you're checking on their work and you've created a new job, but really it's a very parentified system. It's like a parent or child. It's like a teacher and a student. And so now you've got this new thing. You don't have time to do the existing work that you should be doing. The problem that you actually solve for your clients is where your energy goes, not all that pre and post work, right? So now you are, you're right. You've split off. You've got another job. So that is a very flawed system. And so when our clients are working with us, often they'll say to us, you know, repeatedly, we hear that they get 25 hours back a week within the first month of working with us. And that's because how we set up our team and how we set up their super toolkits, which we'll dive into a little bit later. But the win team, what is next team is so you can get to what is next, what is next. And what the you know goal is, and we achieve this really quickly with obviously ourselves, but all our clients is for the team to manage you not for you to manage them. And that is a formula that has been so flawed, you know, I think since the first corporate building went up and this is how we all learned as employees as well. Cause that's why we left these jobs that we didn't like, cause we were micromanaged and we had no independence, no creativity. And so you have this version of that flawed skill set, and that's what's happening is you've created another job and you're right. Then that consumes all your time managing your team. I mean, if I go back to the 80s, 90s, probably the world was a very different place then. And actually, you look at the way that businesses were set up. And it wasn't necessarily, I mean, a lot of people would use the word micromanaging, 
but it was managing. And some people needed to be managed more frequently than others, let's say, depending on what their ability and initiative and training levels were. However, the world around us has changed. Our access to information is vastly different today than it was back in the 80s or 90s. And therefore, the decision-making process of people is actually, I would say, improved. And very often, if you go to Google, Google will have a better way of doing things than probably the said manager. So how do we make that transition from habit, where we feel we need to manage people, to actually move into a more trust-based model, whereby just giving people direction and an idea of what the outcome needs to look like, we can get the people that we hire correctly to do the job that they're destined to do. You know, I don't think it's just about habit, right? It's it's about tradition. It's about experience. It's about, you know, an outdated model. So for us, we rely heavily on what we call our super toolkits. Now, these are different than SOPs. Standard operating procedures are not usually written by the end user. They're usually written to cover liability and they're very static in nature, right? And they're often outdated. And so what happens is we have these super toolkits, you know, that we, our signature program, and they're breathing documents. And the ultimate goal of super toolkits is constantly compress the amount of time it takes to do something. So if something normally takes you 12 steps, as we get more and more efficient, as we're working on this document and the efficiency of that program, and we never make the same mistake twice, and we just get better and better, those 12 steps will go down to eight. And so everybody that works with us in in my company and in all our clients in the winner's circle is you're always looking to achieve that 60% execution model. You you didn't run a start a business just to run a business. So, So you want to be always working on that being instead of the administrative web, you want to be in 60% execution. So how we do that is with our super toolkits. And it therefore sets up a framework for you and your team. So, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, Peter, you know, like when I wrote my book, when the hour, when the day, I thought there, you know, once I was done that, I thought there'd be a parade in my honor. Like I thought, okay, I will never want for anything again. The book is out. I'm good. I'm done. You know, and that doesn't last very long where you need a podcast. Or now I think that book should be part one of a three-part series, right? So you always have that next idea. So you and your team should have the bandwidth to take on that next project, to get into that next ambition. And so it's really about leaning into systems and processes that are effective and allow you to constantly accelerate like the super toolkits. How do you think the super toolkits have evolved during the pandemic? Well, my business really didn't take any kind of change or hit through the pandemic because and I know that was a, like, it's a sensitive subject because it was a very unique thing um, for sure, a hundred percent. But I argue that if you go back in history, every single time, if you check the news from here, from a year ago to 10 years ago to 20 years ago, the news at some point would say we are in uncertain times, you know, now this was a unique time, but there is always a reason why oh, you know what? My business isn't doing well because of this, or I'm really busy. And what I say to often to the clients, people listening, if you hear yourself say, once I get past this next thing, once I get past this next thing, once I get past this next thing, 
You know you have a problem. That should be a ding, 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 because that's the falseness of anything, especially when you have your own business. You think, oh, well, once when you start, you think once I get my website up and this and that, my first client, okay, once I am, oh my gosh, I got more business. Once I am bored them and, you know, there's three things that choke a business, new business, admin work and busy work, right? And you're always thinking once you get past this next thing, it will be different. So these super toolkits allow infrastructure in play so that you are stable, especially during times of uncertainty. Or in my case, right before Christmas, uh, two weeks before Christmas, somebody on my team, here's an example where the pandemic did affect us. Somebody on my team that's been with us quite some time, she is in the Philippines. She was given about a week's notice and she was accepted to Canada to go to college. So in a week's notice, she's leaving her country and going halfway around the world. And at that time, also, someone had reached out to me. This is all two weeks before Christmas. Someone had reached out to me and said, oh, a keynote speaker fell off our because of whatever the pandemic. Can you do a virtual four-hour presentation? But it was very specific. So I kind of really had to start from scratch with my notes, right? So now I've got to do a four-hour presentation. But even if I practice twice, that's eight hours. That's a day out of my calendar. I've got Kazel moving halfway across the world, jumping up, and obviously not going to be able to work for us full-time, although she wanted to stay on part-time, but she's going to college. So we hired somebody new, Mora, and with our super toolkits, Kazel had transferred everything and trained Mora. And when I dealt with Mora, the first moment I had a breath after Christmas, within two weeks, Mora was up to 80% capacity because of the super toolkits. She showed up, she was Kazel 2.0 and then some because she came with her own unique experiences and I was fine. So there is always something and you want to have an infrastructure that can manage the waves or the ride. And I suppose, and I want to delve a little bit more into that. And the reason being, I hear what you're saying, and you're probably one of those that had disparate teams from an early start in your business. But a lot of businesses out there, they've been traditionally, you come to the office. Yeah, If you look at remote working, that was a mere fraction of the workforce. I mean, such a small minority, yet two years into new habits and everything. And what people are faced with is that people don't want to necessarily go back into the office. A lot of people have now sort of readjusted their life to accommodate remote working, yet companies are struggling two years down the line to effectively manage that as a positive step going forward as opposed to a temporary step before people return back to what they believe to be normal, which isn't going to happen. So I guess for me, I remember when this was first coming to light and I had said on podcasts, I believe this will forever change the infrastructure of business. That this to me was like when, you know, during the war that the soldiers came back and the women were like, I don't think so. I got a job and I'm quite okay with it. And I said, this, this is like that there's going to be this kind of movement. So yes, I've always been virtual. That is for sure. But I certainly didn't start with a team. I grinded it out like nobody could the first two years wearing that beautiful badge of honor, thinking hard work is the answer to everything. I remember saying to my mom one day, who knew that I'd have to learn not to work so hard? This is crazy. Now, for me, the first person I hired, the first outsourcer, what was happening was at that time, this was like over 12 years ago, 
I was still going into offices, even though I went virtual long before anybody else, I was still going into offices, having meetings about marketing. So I'm sitting there, I'm making notes, you know, do, 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 do all this other stuff. I would get back to my office. I would promise hand to God that I'm going to put these notes right in the computer. Now, if I was lucky, I got them in the, that Friday. But most of the time I didn't get them into the next Friday afternoon and it weighed on me and the stress. And then sometimes they would call and ask questions. And my notes are meant for 20 minutes, not two weeks. And a couple of times I undercut my own pricing because I was nervous that they're on the phone. I don't have this laid out properly. And, you know, or my biggest fear was what if I misquoted them and I swindled, they looked like I, they thought I was swindling them when that wasn't the case. I just had bad notes. So which person did I want to be? Right. So I said, this cannot be. So I found a transcriptionist. And some weeks I needed her for a lot. And what I would do is I would leave the meeting, go to my car, just talk into my phone, some notes and send her an audio thing off my bare bone notes. And it would take me, it would be done. It would take me 30 seconds. It was done. She'd put it in the computer and within the next 24 hours. Now, the weeks that I needed her a lot, like for four or five hours of meetings, it cost me like $12 because she only did transcriptions and she had like 10 clients and she was super crazy fast. And I don't understand why you'd want to do this, but this is what her zone of genius was and all she wanted to do. And the weeks that I didn't meet her, I didn't pay. So $12 got me all of Friday afternoon back, saved me money that I didn't screw up in pricing, took stress off my plate. And now you don't even need that because there's so many softwares out that do this, right? But for me, it was like, oh, oh, I was waiting to be, I don't know, knighted by the queen or something that you now make enough money and you're going to be okay. And I had this concept like an employee in a corporate world that I had to, you know, bring on, make this big step in this movement. But you can start having things off your plate so you can bring in more revenue really quite effortlessly. So people listening in thus in a fixed mindset or in that stubborn, I know that we're going to have to change at some point, but let me just continuously drag my heels for a little while longer in protest of the up and coming change. What advice would you give them? Well, Peter, this may not be the answer you like, but I'm not here to convince anybody. If you're stubborn and you think this is the way for you, then when the student is ready, the teacher will come. What I will tell you, though, is I thought in a noble way that I couldn't be doing more for my business or my family, that getting up earlier and earlier and staying later and later was the best thing. I was, I was giving sweat, blood, tears, you know, working when I was sick, I would do anything. And I thought you cannot be more invested or committed than I am to my business. How could this be a negative thing? But it's just very counterproductive. How, how much, how effective are you when you had six hours sleep last night and four hours the night before? Like, and I would read these studies and about productivity and how the brain works and fatigue and all. And I thought, yeah, 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 I get it. But somehow my brain, because I care about my business so much is exempt from all these studies that were done in Stanford. Like, oh, no, no, no. My brain is different. Right. And I guess, I guess I would say, think about like this. If your goal is, let's say, to make 10,000 a month, let's say you are making 10,000 a month or you want to make 10,000 a month. And right now you're working, let's be conservative, 50, 60, maybe 70 hours a week. 
which I will put a pin in that for a second, say a lot of people are working that they don't even count. They'll be like, well, on Sundays I go in and I try to get ahead of my emails, but that's not work because I'm not dealing with clients. So there's all these things they pre-qualify that are in fact still work. So let's say you're working 60 hours a week. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, they would love to work 60 hours a week. That's not even a crazy amount. So you're, you wanna, you're making 10K or you want to make 10K and you're working 60 hours a week. If your goal in business, which is always the goal of business to bring in more revenue, to, to do more, if your goal is to get to 20, 25K, then do you think your hours are going to decrease at what you're doing now? I'm making 10K. I work 60 hours. I want to make 25. Yeah, that should bring me back down to 30 hours. So just look at the math. Look where you are with your math. If you want to double your income, can you do that without increasing your hours? That's when you might want to talk to someone like myself. Now, if people want to sort of care a bit more about what you do or interested in having the conversation, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm uh, on all the socials, but you know what? We You could check out our free gift, free, F-R-E-E-G-I-F-T gift from Chris, K-R-I-S dot com. And I've just put something special in there for your listeners. So you might want to check in there because there's something there that we still charge for, like our audio version of our book. So you might want to get there rather quickly. And just tell me that you heard me on this great show and we'll become fast friends. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. Now, if anything today has resonated with you, you want a bit more information, you want to start looking in your business about how do we do this stuff and want the conversation, head over to bulga.com and get in touch. If you love today's episode and found it totally valuable, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, like it, and also please share it so that other people can benefit from the learnings that Chris has shared today. Chris, you've been an awesome guest. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for trusting me with your audience. And remember, failing to learn is learning to fail. Please stay safe.